Let's pray and ask God for his help. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for giving us your word. We pray that as we look at this passage, uh, you help us to not only understand its truth, but to think about uh, how it applies to us and um, to think about what we might do to actually put it into practice in our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about um, uh, why I choose the things I preach on. And I said that I just work through stuff in the Bible. I don't have our congregation particularly in mind. I'm not thinking about circumstances or anything like that. I'm not trying to address things I feel are issues among us. I just work through different parts of the Bible. Uh, that is not true of today. Um, today, I have deliberately chosen this part of the Bible. I've chosen this psalm specifically because, friends, I think that what God says here is a real blind spot for many of us. I think uh, this passage puts its finger on serious misdirection in the lives of many of us. It's an issue that we've talked about many times, uh, but as I get around talking to people in the congregation, and particularly as I get around talking to the dads in this congregation, I don't think that it's hit home for us. I don't think we're getting it. I don't think uh, we're actually believing it, trusting it and living it. The Bible passage is Psalm 49. So let's dive straight in and have a look at it. Psalm 49. First notice the heading. Uh, This is a psalm for singing. It's written by the sons of Korah, the the musicians of the temple, and it's meant to be put to music. The heading, for the director of music of the sons of Korah, a psalm. The psalm starts off with a call to listen. This is not just a call to Israel, it's a call to the whole world. It's not just for rich people, it's for both rich and poor. This is for everyone. Verse 1. Hear this, all you peoples, listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. Uh, The psalmist has got some wisdom for us. He's going to help us understand something. He says he's going to sing it with his harp, his lyre, perhaps his ancient equivalent of a guitar. Verse 3, my mouth will speak words of wisdom. The utterance from my heart will give understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp, I will expound my riddle. Okay, so this is a wisdom psalm meant for you and for me. The psalmist starts off by asking himself a question. He asks why he should be scared of those days when tricky people are around. Tricky, rich people. People who trust in their wealth. People who find security in their wealth. And people who boast of their riches, who get their status and approval and prestige from their money, he says, why why should I be worried when these people are around me? Verse 5. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? You see the question? Should the psalmist be worried about tricky rich people around him? Should he be impressed? Should he be envious? Should he be scared? In the next section, he thinks through an answer. He starts off by saying, yes, rich people, they do get prestige. They do get status. They do get approval from other people for their money and their status. But he says, it's an empty approval. Everyone might suck up to you if you are rich, but you can't actually do them any good. Not long term, anyhow. 
Because it doesn't matter how much money you have, you can't save anyone from death. Verse 7. No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. Okay, the rich might get approval, people might suck up to them, but it's an empty approval. They can't do anyone any long-term good. So rich people uh, try to gain status, they boast of their riches. Also rich people try to gain security from their wealth. But again, they can't do it. They might buy a house on a quarter acre block with a white picket fence, the great Australian dream, but it's no security at all. Death will take it all away. The only lasting house they have is their grave. Doesn't matter how smart they are, doesn't matter how much money they get, doesn't matter how wisely they can accumulate, they can't take any of it with them. Verse 10. For all can see that wise men die. The foolish and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. I've told you uh, Barry Breeze's story before. Uh, Barry says there are two Hawthorne Avenues in Sydney, the one in Chatswood where he currently lives and one in Rookwood Cemetery. And Barry's plan is to move from one to the other. It's a, it's a realistic plan because that's our only lasting home here on earth. Not sadly Hawthorne Avenue in Chatswood, as close as that may be to the promised land. Our only lasting home here on earth is our grave. There's no lasting security in money and houses and possessions. And so the psalmist comes to his conclusion. Money can't give you any long-term benefit. No long-term approval, no long-term security. You can have all the money in the world, but you're going to end up dead like an animal. Verse 12. But man, despite his riches, does not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. Well, there's the conclusion about money. No long-term benefit. It's a hevel to go back to our series on Ecclesiastes. Can't save you from death. Uh, but that's not all there is to say. In this next section, the psalmist draws a contrast. On the one side are those who trust in themselves and their money, and on the other side are people like himself, the psalmist, who trust in God. And the contrast could not be any more stark. Uh, both will die, but death will consume the wicked, whereas the psalmist says, a morning is coming, a morning of resurrection when the upright, those who trust in God, will be redeemed from the grave, when they'll inherit the earth, when they'll have eternal security, when they'll dwell in the eternal approval of God. Verse 13. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. Selah. Now that word selah, it's a, it's a Hebrew word. We don't, we don't really know what it means. It's probably some kind of a musical term, like... Uh, insert guitar solo here or something like that uh, anyway here's the fate of those who trust in themselves verse 14 those who trust in themselves like sheep they are destined for the grave and death will feed on them like an evil shepherd death will feed on them it's a powerful image isn't it the upright will rule over them in the morning 
Their forms will decay in the grave far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. Selah. All right. Uh, Back in verse 5, the psalmist asked a question. Should he be scared of all those tricky rich people? Should he be trying to be one of their followers? Should he be envious of them, impressed by them, following their ways? Well, now he's thought it through. Uh, Rich people who trust in themselves and their money have no lasting gain. No lasting approval, no lasting security. They will rot in the grave. But the people who trust in God, they have an eternal inheritance, redeemed from the grave, taken to be with God, eternally secure and approved. Okay, the psalmist, he's thought it through for himself. And now he turns to us and he gives us his wisdom. He shows us what we need to understand. He says, don't be impressed by wealth. Don't envy wealth. Don't chase after wealth. Don't be overawed by wealth. It's not that impressive. Verse 16. Do not be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases. Don't let wealth impress you. Don't be scared. Don't be envious. Why? It's the same as we saw in the first half of the psalm. First, it brings you no lasting security. You can't take it with you. Verse 17. For he'll take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him. And second, wealth brings no lasting approval. You might get the praise of men for a short time, but it'll soon be gone. Verse 18. Though while he lived, he counted himself blessed, and men praise you when you prosper, he will join the generation of his fathers who will never see the light of life. And then the psalmist finishes by saying something similar to what he said in verse 12. This is sort of like the chorus of the song. He's just added in one extra element. He says that if you have riches without understanding, you'll die like an animal. If you don't get what he's trying to teach us, you'll die like an animal. doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. If you're not in relationship with God, if your life is not going to be redeemed from the grave, you have no hope. If you don't understand what it is to be right with God, you have no lasting security or approval verse 20 a man who has riches without understanding is like the beasts that perish all right so there it is wisdom from the psalmist wisdom from god don't let money impress you understand that god alone can give us the security and approval that lasts of course this wisdom this wisdom should be even more clear for us as christians in christ we know that we have eternal security. In Christ, we know that we have eternal approval from God, that he loves us and has made us his children. Jesus has died on the cross to take our sin and death away, to redeem us from the grave. Jesus is alive again. Death is defeated. And Jesus calls us to trust him, to, how does he put it, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, to find our security in him, to find our identity and our approval in him. Jesus reminds us, as we saw in our first reading, to make sure that we are rich towards God. The wisdom of Psalm 49, it is wisdom for us as Christians. Okay, now I know we've covered this issue of the idolatry of money quite a few times over the last couple of years. We did it in Ecclesiastes. We did it just a few weeks ago in Hebrews. And I suspect we know this stuff in our heads. But as I said at the start, I don't think we're getting it. I don't think we believe it. 
God's wisdom is here before us, but most of us are living like fools. This is a blind spot for us. And it's partly because the issue is more subtle than we realise. When we think about people who are idolatrous about money, we think about your obviously avaricious person, someone who's obviously wealthier than us and has no pleasure in it. There's some kind of greedy Scrooge or something like that. That's the picture we've got in our heads when we think of the idolatry of money. We think, that's not me. And so we think, well, I'm okay. I'm off the hook. But we're only looking on the surface. You see, the love of money, it usually flows from a deeper idolatry. And this psalm, this psalm puts its finger on two very common deeper idolatries, two reasons why we love money. First... We love money because we think we can get security from it. And second, we love money because we think we can gain approval from it, the approval of other people. So what I want us to do is to think about each of these reasons in turn. So first, uh, we love money because we think it brings us security. We think we can gain control over our lives through money, that we can ensure our lives will be comfortable for ourselves and for our families. We think we can get control. I reckon this one is very deep-seated for many of us, especially, especially for those of us who are migrants or who have parents who migrated here. Of course, I'm including myself in this. Uh, people have made big sacrifices to be here in Australia so they can have a secure life, a life of peace, and prosperity for their families. Uh, my own grandparents came here as refugees with my mum. It was soon after the war. They'd endured the horrors of the Holocaust. They'd not lost nearly everyone in their families, and so they escaped to Australia to make a new life. And they worked hard. They worked really hard. Two or three jobs at a time, my grandfather. All to establish a secure life here in Australia, a controlled life, a life of safety and of peace. Uh, my own parents have worked hard. They paid big money to put me and my siblings through private schools and through university. And they want nothing more for me than a happy, secure, safe, prosperous life. That is their dream for me. Uh, my family, of course, are not Christians. But Christians are not immune from the belief that security can be found in stuff. Your parents, your parents made big sacrifices for you. Maybe they came from overseas or maybe they made it possible for you to come from overseas. And their biggest desire for you, I suspect, is that you have a safe, happy, prosperous life. And so they were desperate that you study hard, that you get a good education. They were desperate that you find a good profession and they want you now to raise your children in a safe, comfortable, wealthy, secure environment, everything under control. Now, I don't doubt that your parents have or had a sincere faith in Jesus if they were Christians. But the way they've raised you, their desire for you reveals the truth. For many of your parents, when it all boils down, mammon comes first. 
They say they trust in Jesus, but at best they are inconsistent about it. At best they're trying to hedge their bets, trying to live with a foot in both worlds. Yeah, trust in Jesus, just in case, but really let's work for the security that comes from money. And they've taught you what's important by their example, by the way that they pushed you and encouraged you, by the dreams that they have for you. Study hard, work hard. Yes, maybe tack on eternal life with a bit of church going on Sundays, but don't get too serious. Don't let it distract you from the main goal, finding security in money. If you've made sacrifices to be here in Australia or if your parents have made sacrifices to be here in Australia, I've got sympathy for them and for you. You've made sacrifices, but we've got to call this what it is. Uh, This is idolatry. I'm going to make a big call here. He goes, if your parents are proud of you, it's probably because you're an idolater. If your parents can parade you around as a success story, if you're a vindication of their decision to come to Australia, if you're a vindication of their decision to send you to Australia, it's probably because of your idolatry. It's because you put study before Jesus. It's because you're now putting your career and your family, your one or two controlled children, before Jesus. They are proud of you because you are an idolater. And on that last day, our idolatry will be seen for what it is. All the houses and money and stuff we've spent our lives accumulating, it'll fall down around us The only things that will remain will be the things that we did for Jesus. The people we invested in for Jesus' sake. Friend, on that day, uh, we might be poverty stricken for all our North Shore affluence. We might be poverty stricken. That's assuming our faith is not just a facade, in which case that day will be even worse. Your study, your work, your slaving and striving to gain the security of this world, it cannot deliver what it promises. There is only one secure thing your money can buy, a nice grave. Friends, I'm worried. I'm worried about our congregation. I'm worried not just about us and what we've inherited from our parents, I'm worried about our children. We love our children. Don't we? We passionately love our children and we're showing it the same way our parents showed it to us. We are working hard to give them the most secure, safe, prosperous lives that money can buy. We're working hard to give them the private school education, the sport, the music, all the factors of a successful, secure, comfortable North Shore life. Friends, I'm worried that we are passing the same idolatry onto our children that our parents passed onto us. In our love for our children, in all our striving to give them every material benefit, we are showing them that God can't be trusted. We are showing them that our faith in Jesus is nothing more than pie-in-the-sky dreams. At best, a vague insurance policy in the sky that's worth an hour a week on Sundays if there's nothing else on. But what really counts is studying hard, working hard, playing hard, succeeding, gaining the security that only money can buy. 
Ask yourself this question. What do you want for your children? Do you want them to have your life? A safe, controlled, semi-committed to Jesus life. Or are you happy to have them chuck in their private school education and their lucrative career and head off to the mission field? Are you happy to have them live in poverty and danger for the sake of the gospel? Are you happy to see them suffer for the sake of Jesus? Are you happy for them, God forbid, to not go to uni, to get jobs as, say, hairdressers, so they can tell people about Jesus in a way that you're too busy and too scared to do? Are you happy for your children to lose earthly security? Well, how are you showing that now? As your children look at your life and as they hear your desires for them, where will they think your security lies? Be honest. As they see your lives, will they say, yes, my parents, really, it's all about Jesus. That's where they they think they have their life, their security. Or will they think, no, no, really, it's it's about money. Uh, second reason. The second reason in this psalm why people love money is this. It's their need for approval. They want other people to think well of them. Again, if we're honest, I think many of us need to put up our hands for this one as well. We spend our lives pursuing the things of this world so that other people will think well of us. We do it for the praise of men. Now, for me, when I made my career decision, I, I wasn't a Christian, and it was an overt factor. No apologies about it. I've told you the story before. I'd just done the HSC, I was deciding what course to do, I was sitting on a bed at my nan's house, my mum was with me. She said, what do you want to do with your life? I said, I love sport mum, I, want to be, I think I want to be a physiotherapist. But my mum said, Jeff, you won't be in the upper echelons of society unless you do medicine or law. I thought, yeah, that makes sense. So I said, okay, I'll do law. That was it, my first and last thought about it. Now, maybe you weren't quite as mercenary as I, about it as I was. And maybe you've gone into your profession for honourable reasons, so you can help people, so you can have influence for the gospel, but we've got to be so careful because it's easy for us to kid ourselves. I've got a mate who ran a group at uni for Christians who were studying to be doctors. At one stage, he had a group of first years together and he, he asked them all, you guys are Christians, why are you doing medicine? Uniformly, they said, oh, it's because we want to serve people and help people and have influence for the gospel, have gospel opportunities. So my mate said, okay, well, let's, let's think this through. They then went through exactly what a doctor does, day by day. And they came to the conclusion, they all agreed that this was right, they came to the conclusion that if you really want to serve people, if you really want to help people, if you really want to have gospel opportunities, you'd be much better off doing nursing. Laurie, cheers. So at the end of the conversation, my mate said, okay, it's first year, you've got plenty of time to change. How many of you now are going to shift across from medicine to nursing? Answer? Not one. Not one. They were kidding themselves. It's not about helping people and having gospel opportunities. It's all about prestige. I'm sorry to pick on the doctors. I'm sure it's the same with most of us. Certainly true in ministry. Easy to do ministry with an eye to the audience, hoping that everyone will think how great you are as a preacher or whatever. We, we, we crave the approval of other people, don't we? 
We're really desperate for prestige, for status, and we look to money, to career, to staff, to sport, to this world, to get what we want, this approval from other people. Friends, can I say to you that the praise of men is a very fickle thing. This psalm shows it. It's not worth living for. Much better to have no praise from people, much better to have insult from people all your life, but then to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Far better to have God's approval. And that comes to us only through Jesus. Okay, so here is God's wisdom. And yet many of us are living like fools. So what are we going to do? It's not going to be easy to change, is it? We're kind of, um, I think this shows up how weak our faith is. You know, yeah, I hope it's true, but if it's not, I'm living such a nice life, it's okay. I think this shows up how weak our faith is. It shows how deep our idolatry is. And the thing is, most of us are at the stage in life where we're locked into the paths we've chosen. We feel, at least, locked in to the paths that we have chosen. We've got responsibilities, we've got debts. We feel it's too hard to change. We'll disappoint our parents. We'll, we, 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 we won't give the kind of life that we long for our children to have, although I'm not sure that it's good for them anyway. People won't give us the same praise and prestige. We feel helpless, like there's nothing that we can do. Friends, it's a lie. We're not really helpless. If we truly believe in Jesus, we can change. We can stand up to the system. We can stand up to the partners. We can stand up to the bosses. We can stand up to the people around us and say, no, 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 I don't need more money. I don't need to be bigger. I don't need to be better. I need to do those things that count. For our own good and for the good of our children, we need to take a long, hard look at ourselves. We need to say sorry to God for our idolatry for the way we look to money for our security and approval, for the way we're impressed by and envious of wealth. And we need to resolve to do something about it. 2010 would be a good time to think about how you're going to work less for stuff that perishes, less time building your dung heaps of stuff, and invest more time and energy and thought into working for the things that endure, more time building people up in Christ. It's time for us to think about how we can actually make sacrifices for the things that last. Sacrifices that we don't, don't only hurt us, but that hurt our children. Do you hear what I said? I think we should make sacrifices that hurt our children so that they know in themselves that our greatest dream for them is not a comfortable, nice North Shore life. So that they know in themselves that there is stuff more important than wealth. We need to move in from the fringes of church life. We need to give more than leftovers to serving Jesus. Friends, here is God's wisdom, and I can't tell you exactly how to do it in your life, but can I encourage you, as we finish this year and start a new one, think hard for yourself about this. Let's wise up and find our security and approval in God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are so sorry for the ways that we say we trust in you and say that our eternal life is the centre of what we do and yet really we have such a foot in this world and that even if you are not true and there is no eternal life, really we haven't missed out on anything because we've done all the stuff that everybody else does in making our lives comfortable and secure and seeking the praise of others. Our Father, we're sorry. Lord, we feel helpless to change. We feel locked in. We feel like uh, we've sort of set our paths and directions but we pray that you'll 
give us wisdom and insight in knowing how we can put into practice what we know to be true, that our only security and approval that can last comes from you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.